Hello and welcome to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, founder of Style Story, where you can shop, learn and explore the world of Korean skincare and the founder of K-beauty brand, Jelly Co. On today's episode, we have lots of different things to discuss. So let us kick off with what's going on in the headlines. Now, one that I thought that quite a few of you might be interested in is an expert, a Korean expert on how to choose the right sunscreen for you. So this is a topic that gets a lot of coverage, a lot of attention, I think. And we get requests from time to time for episodes around various topics to do with Korean sunscreens, picking the right one, whether they are the right fit for people in Australia. Uh, And the reason that that comes up from time to time is because, to my knowledge, no Korean sunscreens have ever actually been approved for sale on the Australian market. Uh, And that usually throws up a whole heap of questions for Aussies in particular, Uh, you know, and people wanting to know, well, Lauren, like, what do you use then? Do you use Korean sunscreens in Australia? What do you recommend? Long story really short, because this is not really the point of today's episode, uh, I've got uh, previous episodes of the podcast that I will link in the show notes to this. Uh, In a nutshell, no, I do not use Korean or Japanese sunscreens whenever I'm in Australia. Uh, And the reason is that they just haven't been subjected to our local testing regimes there, which does not give me the confidence I need as a very, very fair skinned person that is really prone to things like freckles, melasma, pigmentation, all of those kind of things. I do not have the confidence I need to wear Korean sunscreens when I am in Australia, uh, sweating out in the heat. Uh, We have a very particular climate in Australia that is not the same as the climate in Korea. uh, And I am reminded of that literally every time I go back. So that is my answer to that. That question, which is usually the first one I always get anytime I talk about Korean sunscreen. So I will just start off by saying that I do not wear them when I'm in Australia. In Korea, different story uh, because it's just not the same. The weather is just not the same over here. Uh, so I, I, I regularly do wear Korean and Japanese sunscreens. Uh, the other big thing that affects Australians that does not affect people in the rest of the world is that people are no longer allowed to provide testimonials for products uh, that they have received by from brands and uh, or that they have been paid to promote if the products are therapeutic goods, which sunscreens are in Australia. Sunscreens, primary sunscreens are regulated as therapeutic goods in Australia. So that's the other reason uh, that this topic is just a minefield at the moment in Australia. Now, I obviously do not get paid to <laughs> promote products, to test products out, um, to advertise products. That's not my job. Uh, so I don't have any problems talking about those kind of products because I purchase them with my own money. So if you are interested in hearing a little bit more about what I personally like, uh, come and find me. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram at lauren.kbeauty. That's the kind of stuff that I share on TikTok rather than here on the show, uh, just because, you know, I guess not everyone really cares what I personally use. So without any further ado, why don't I jump into this really interesting interview that I came across in COS in Korea? And I'll have the link below, but it is only available in Korean. So this is just my, I guess, relaying to you what was actually in the interview. So 
One of the professional members of COS in Korea is Park Geun-hyung, and he is actually a director of the clinical trial division. So he, this is an area that he is very, very familiar with uh, and that he works in a lot. So he was sharing how he believes you should go about choosing the right sunscreen. He thinks it's important to consider your skin type, lifestyle, and the purpose that you're using the sunscreen for. Uh, and he said he doesn't think there is any absolute standard because it's subjective and like obviously that has to be right I think Uh, there are just so many factors that come into it you know I get people telling me oh well I don't go outside during the day do I still need to wear sunscreen or you know I don't have any windows in my house or whatnot like obviously if that's you then your standards for a sunscreen are going to be very different from someone that's out and about running or jogging outside so in the Korean rating system SPF represents the degree of UVB blocking and PA represents Presents the level of UVA blocking. So the larger the number after SPF, the higher and the higher the plus after the PA, the higher the blocking and protection effect for the UVA and UVB. And this is the part where the regulations differ from country to country. Uh, So that's the other reason why when Korean sunscreens are then imported overseas, you will often find that they run into problems and need to be either labeled differently or go through local testing regimes is because it's not the same. Uh, I know that there are international standards. I understand that. But in terms of how it's all measured and what qualifies as an SPF 50 in one country versus another country is not standardized. Uh, so that is why these things are actually different. For example, in uh, many countries, there is no plus system. So where you go plus, plus, plus after the PA, like that doesn't exist in Australia, just as a, you know, uh, for an example. The other thing then he recommends doing is looking at the components of the sunscreen and the content of the major components. So what he means by this really is, is it an inorganic sunscreen, an organic sunscreen, a chemical one, or is it mixing the like the components together? So inorganic components are basically oxides extracted from minerals and made into a fine powder form and they provide a physical protective film on the skin that then works to block ultraviolet rays so uh, typical components would be zinc oxide and titanium dioxide uh, and these components physically bounce uv rays and shield them so that's why it's called a physical sunscreen then the organic components are some examples of which include include avobenzone and oxybenzone, uh, they are the ones that convert UV rays reaching the skin into thermal energy and then dissipate them. So that's why they're called chemical blockers. Then there are also uh, products on the market that contain a blend of inorganic and organic filters. Uh, So there are a lot of different products on the market. uh, And so what he says is it's really important to, I guess, understand them because it will affect the degree of shielding that is provided from the ultraviolet rays, blocking their safety, stability, and sense of use. So just a couple of different factors that he recommends, he personally recommends taking into account when you are choosing uh, a sunscreen. He said, once you have an understanding of the ingredients, the next thing you should check is your life 
pattern and skin type. So he thinks that it's important to check whether you're dry, oily, moisture deficient, whether you have sensitive skin, acne, all of those kind of things. And the same thing, interestingly enough, your skin texture. He has some really good points that he makes about skin texture. So whether your skin has a lot of pores, a large or rough skin texture, that's also important when it comes to choosing your sunscreen. So what he said is that in general, the inorganic products have less ability to irritate the skin and eye pain. And in addition, they have the effect of covering up pores or rough skin texture. So those are not bad products to choose if you have these skin concerns. And I myself definitely have noticed this as well when I'm applying sunscreen products. Uh, He said, on the other hand, if you are looking for products that have a good sense of use, uh, applicability, you know, when you're actually applying the product, then the organic ones can be a good option. Uh, And then obviously you've got the mixed ones as well. So you'll need to basically do your own assessment about the advantages to choose the right product for yourself. Uh, So some really, really interesting tips, I think, that he's got there as well. Then he also says that depending on your skin type, you can also then narrow down your choice of products again. So if you have dry and complex skin, it might be good to choose a watery formulation. So something that feels similar to an essence or a lotion. If you have oily skin or water deficient skin, then the mattifying products, I think that's fairly self-explanatory. That's the kind of thing that we generally recommend with ordinary skincare products as well. You know, if you've got that oilier acne prone skin, something mattifying is good because it makes you look less oily. Uh, So just some really practical tips that he has there as well. Uh, He also adds in some comments around choosing tone up sunscreens. So, you know, if after you apply the product, you feel like your skin tone is not looking right, or, you know, you prefer it to look a different way, then there are products on the Korean market, certainly that have a slight tone-up effect. Uh, These can be a little bit dicey. I have some tone-up sunscreens that I actually really like, and then others that look really chalky and wash me out. Uh, So that is definitely, if you're playing around in the tone-up end of the market, it it is a bit of a process of trial and error, and you'll probably have to kiss a few frogs before you find your prints from uh, my experience. And that's my experience as someone that has literally the most white skin ever. Some of them just make me look chalky and like almost dead. And then other products give me like a nice glow, the tone up ones. So there's no hard and fast rule with those ones either. So the other thing is you really need to consider how you are actually going to be um, using the sunscreen during the day. Are you going to be outdoors? Are you going to be sweating? Are you going to be, you know, reapplying every two to three hours if you are? And then how are you going to go about doing that? He said in the case of the organic sunscreen products, he doesn't recommend using puffs to top up. And that's because the active ingredients may be absorbed into the puff and the quantities then may not go onto your actual skin. So that is a really, really interesting piece of advice that he has there because a lot of people really do like applying. Uh, So he also recommends a brush as a potential option for reapplying some types of sunscreens as well, rather than a puff 
So a lot of different things to take into account when you are choosing a, a sunscreen for you, uh, because there are obviously lots of different types of active ingredients, then, you know, depending on how you're going to be using it, how you're going to be reapplying it, all of those things go into it as well. Waterproofing, sweatproofing, all of that. And I was really happy to hear that he said, finally, getting rid of your sunscreen or erasing it is just as important as putting it on. So I couldn't agree more with that. That is one of the reasons that I love the um, double cleanse method for getting uh, rid of makeup and sunscreen at night because I can actually see the sunscreen running out into the water. Uh, so definitely taking off your sunscreen properly and making sure that there is nothing left on your face is very, very important just because of the way that it functions in the first place and how heavy it can be on the skin. So look, I thought that was a really interesting interview that Cos in Korea published uh, with uh, Park Eun-hyung. So go and check that out if you are able to read it in Korean. Uh, there was a lot more in there, but I just thought I'd pick out some of the parts that might be the most uh, interesting, I guess, to the, the biggest majority of our listeners. But he had some very, very good tips in there. And this is obviously an area that he is very familiar with. Uh, so a really interesting article in the news this week. Now, what I wanted to do in our regular section segment (laughs) where we discuss the question of the week, today I wanted to actually do something that I'm going to call discussion of the week. Uh, And that is because if you have listened to the last couple of episodes of the show that I published, you may recall that a few weeks ago I mentioned uh, in one of the segments the issue of representation of females in K-beauty companies still being a problem, uh, you know, by and large for the industry. And I was challenged on that. And someone said, no, that's not right. There are actually plenty of women working in the Korean beauty industry. You know, there are plenty of female founders. Uh, so, you know, you're wrong, basically, is what she was saying. Uh, and even if, you know, women don't own the company, they're still marketing managers. So, it, you know, you're wrong. It's basically what she said in no uncertain terms. And I just wanted to have a discussion about this because I just don't think that it is that simple. So my personal uh, feelings aside, I think it might actually take a look at, it might actually help to take a look at some of the statistics. So the Economist published a report last year, as they have done for, I believe, the last 10 years or more than 10 years. And what they said was that South Korea remains at the very bottom of the glass ceiling index that measures the role and influence of women in the workforce. So what they said is that South Korea's score hovered around 20 out of 100, which ranks it the lowest among the 29 OECD member nations, which is really not great. Uh, And this is the 10th year in a row that Korea has ranked dead last on the list since the economists began compiling the index in 2013. Uh, So, you know, no guesses, I guess, as to who topped the list. It was the Nordic countries. uh, But they pointed out that domestic labor is seriously imbalanced in Asia and South Korea and Japan are two of the countries where uh, it's the worst and women perform five times as much housework as men. So look, uh, this was on an industry-wide level, or rather country-wide, 
wide level, not specifically related to the Korean beauty industry. But I think it highlights uh, my point is that this is not a country where women are in control by any uh, measure of anything. They are definitely relegated to second class citizens. And this has a flow on effect. This has an impact on the Korean beauty industry. I will stand by that. I, I know that there are more um, women starting companies and there are a lot of small businesses that are led by females. I know that there are women that work in the Korean beauty industry, but that wasn't really my point. My point was representation at the board and CEO level. Now, even the Korea Times published an article where it says that companies that do have female representation on the on the board in Korea, it appears that they have included a female member purely because it is mandatory and not because they feel it is truly necessary. And I think that you only need to take a look at the statistics to see that that must be right. Uh, This is just something that is repeated again and again at multiple different companies, not only in the Korean beauty industry, uh, but obviously it is one of the industries within a country that is dominated completely by men. To illustrate my point, in 2021, Amore Pacific had 8,117 female workers, which accounted for 74.8% of its total workforce. So that sounds very, very promising, uh, 74.8%. But guess how many board members they had who were female in that same year? 239 Like what is wrong then that you have a majority of female workforce, but they represent a minority on your board. That's just not the typical kind of, uh, you know, progression, I guess, what is happening to these women where they're not in a position to progress to being on the boards and being CEOs. I think that's one very stark example. Uh, Now, in terms of major companies with the highest share of women on boards of directors in South Korea, Amore Pacific is it, believe it or not, 23.9% in the K-beauty industry represents the highest share of women on boards in the Korean beauty companies. Uh, The next highest is LG Household and Healthcare, and they have a whopping 18.8%, or rather they did in 2021. So again, this just illustrates my point, is that women aren't in decision-making roles. Clearly, there is a glass ceiling that is preventing the people who are working in the companies from getting to the top. And in my opinion, that's an issue. Uh, And not only in my opinion as well. So McKinsey, uh, who is a consulting company, They actually did a study and a report back in 2020 on the relationship between diversity on the executive teams and the likelihood of financial outperformance. And what they said is that it has strengthened over time. They studied a thousand large companies in 15 countries. And the more diverse you are, the more successful you are. Uh, And I think it only, you know, it it makes sense. More diversity encourages more diverse pools of thought and a reflection of the diversity among consumers that the company is targeting. That obviously then results in greater profit. And that is the most important thing for most companies. They're in business to make money. And that's one way to do it is to ensure that you have uh, representation at the higher board levels. This is uh, a sentiment that has been echoed by the chairwoman of the Korean Network of Women in Finance and the Korean International Finance Institute. So, I mean, look, it's not just me saying this. 
this, but I think my point was not that there aren't women in the industry, but that it is an issue that there aren't more women at the top of the companies making the decisions. Uh, and I, I, I stand by that. I don't think it is... Um, a counter argument necessarily to say that there are female CEOs of small businesses when the companies that really have the power to change things on a really big and impactful level are all still run by men. I think it's a problem. I think it needs to change. I unfortunately don't see it changing as quickly as I think it should. I don't think companies in Korea think that it's a problem that the companies are all run by men. I think that that is the unfortunate reality. Uh, living here for as long as I have and having seen sort of the attitude towards women and work uh, and, you know, power and decision making, it's just not a priority for many people in the country. And that's a real shame. Uh, and the statistics bear that out. So, uh, look, I just thought that that might be an interesting discussion to have because I think it is something that it would be it would be really interesting to see the impact it had on the industry if there were more females uh, and more uh, female representation at the top of a lot of these companies. You know, even the beauty standards, the Korean beauty standards that get a lot of airtime on the social media platforms, uh, you know, who knows whether this might uh, be changed, whether it might have an impact if there were w more women on the boards and at the CEOs uh, CEO level of the the bigger companies. The fact that women act as the marketing manager that doesn't doesn't convince me that that's enough. And I'll tell you why I think that. Having worked so closely with so many different Korean companies uh, and clients and whatnot over the years, both as a lawyer and then as a, a business owner running my own business here. It's, it doesn't really matter because what matters is what the person above you thinks. Korea is one of the most hierarchical societies in the world uh, and certainly the most hierarchical society that I have ever lived in. And at the end of the day, the people in the middle just do not have the same power that they would have if they were working in a Western company. Uh, in a Western companies, uh, a lot of Western companies, there's a much more open dialogue between people at various levels throughout the company. And that's just not the case here. So there's so many examples I can give you of completely top-down structures where the most important thing is what the person who owns the company thinks. Uh, and so the fact that you're a, a random marketing manager somewhere in the middle, I just don't think that's the same thing as being on the board, particularly when it's uh, a country like Korea that is so hierarchical. So while I think it's really encouraging that there are more female founders and that there are more women working in the industry, uh, I think until we start seeing that representation at the really big companies on a much bigger level than 23.9% uh, or 18.8%, I think it's going to remain something that needs to change. I don't think that that's acceptable in this day and age to have that few representation uh, on the boards. That's my personal opinion. Look, I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but that is, I just, I just wanted to bring that up as an issue because I, I honestly do think it is an issue. Issue. Uh, all right, why don't we move on to something a little bit lighter uh, and take a look at some of the new K-Beauty releases. Now, I do have some that I think that a few people will be excited about. 
And first up is the Mixoon Bean Essence that you will now be able to find on stylestory.com.au. This is a product that's getting a lot of rave reviews in Korea, and a lot of people overseas are talking about it because they are billing it as a vegan or snail-free alternative to the COSRX Snail Mucin Essence. It's got a very similar texture, that stringy, almost snail-like texture, obviously minus the snail, uh, and it offers many of the same benefits as well. So it can brighten up the appearance of dull looking skin, promote a healthier barrier, uh, boost your skin's elasticity. Uh, and they say that it quickly absorbs uh, without any stickiness. I think honestly, that claim would be a little bit dependent on the skin in, in, in general and the other products that you apply around it. With any of these products, some people find that they're perfect. Some people find them a little bit too much because our mucin essence is the same. Like, let's be honest, some people love it and some people just don't really gel with it this product is going to fall into a similar category as that but it is receiving a lot of attention at the moment in korea uh, and don't forget that one percent from the profit of the sale of this product will go towards our pledge for one percent for the planet so that you can share your love of k-beauty with the planet every time you shop at style story uh, so the key ingredients in that one as the name suggests bean it's got fermented soybean extract it's also got punica granatum fruit extract, so lots of antioxidants in there, and then barley seed ferment filtrate as well. So lots of different uh, fermented ingredients. If that is a trigger for you, I would probably avoid this one. You may like, though, the second product, which is the Mixoon Heartleaf Essence. So Heartleaf is uh, a plant-based ingredient. And it is really, really popular in Korea at the moment for calming, calming, soothing. If you've got stressed skin, if you're looking for, for some relief, this is the ingredient that a lot of people are really excited about at the moment. It's in a lot of different products and this one as well. Uh, so go and check those ones out. If you are interested in trying out something new, the brand is Mixoon, a very new brand to the market as well. All right, now on to the segment that I love to call, why did you buy this product? Uh, and again, this week, we've got some really nice short, sharp reviews, people sharing their thoughts on a wide range of products that they've bought on Style Story. The first one was Hamish's All Clean Pink Clay Purifying Mask. And our customer said, I bought this product because I was looking for a new mask and it looked interesting. So thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, one of our customers let us know her, her thoughts on Subi's perfect pimple patch uh, and she said she bought it because I use these all the time when I have pimples and I ran out so <laughs> I guess that's a very good reason to, to stock up on some more uh, and the last one was for Beauty of Joseon's Revive Serum the ginseng and snail mucin version and she said I've bought this multiple times and absolutely loved it so there you go that's what people are buying and why they are buying it uh, thank you indeed to everyone that did share their thoughts uh, and I would love for you guys to share your thoughts on the show if you haven't already you can leave us some stars we love five star reviews uh, 
or you can actually share your 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 review. Let us know what you're liking about the show, what you want to hear more of. Uh, if there's a favorite segment that you have, I would love to hear about it. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up here for this week, uh, or this today rather, and I will be back in your ears later with the interview that I promised you guys that I've been promising you for the last few weeks. It is on its way. Do not stress. Make sure that you stay subscribed to the podcast uh, and I will be back in your ears later this week with that for you. In the meantime, I will see you on Style Story. Style Story.